Hey, this is Paul Connor, pastor of City Baptist Church here in Vancouver. And I want to welcome you to our sermon podcast and just say thank you so much for joining us today. You know, it's our mission to help you find and follow Jesus. And we pray that the message encourages and inspires you today. Today's message is from our brand new series, Renew. And as we begin this new year together, we're going to be focusing in on Romans chapter 12 and discover the power that is found in renewing our hearts and minds through Jesus and his unchanging word. Let's get into today's message. Growing up, I played basketball in high school uh, and in college, and uh, many of you guys know that, and I, I love basketball. One thing that was so inevitable uh, about me, uh, just all those years that I played uh, basketball, was that uh, whenever I was in high school or even in college, there was always one guy who would show up to the team tryouts. You know, they have open tryouts every year, and there'd always be that one guy who would show up, and I mean, he was a total baller, if you know what I mean. Like, he would show up, and he looked the part. Now, back in my day, you know, he had, like, huge, baggy uh, shorts, you know, almost all the way down to his shoes. And, and uh, he had the right and one shoes on or whatever it was that day that was cool. And, uh, you know, and you kind of see uh, his shorts to be hanging off of him usually, but had the jersey and the headbands and the armbands and, and everything. And that guy, one of the things that was always amazing to me is that guy would show up and man, he would ball out of control. Like, meaning he could just dribble the ball and he'd be doing all these crazy moves and he'd be warming up and doing these crazy dribbles. And, and uh, I, I remember so often, uh, that when that would happen, I see that guy and I'd be impressed because me, a uh, big, tall, white guy, I did not have those kind of handles. And I see those guys dribble. I'm like, man, this guy's good. He's going to be a real help to the team. But one thing would always happen, and this was just so interesting to me, and I, I observed it all throughout the years that I played basketball, is that oftentimes is that guy who could do all this crazy stuff. When we'd start doing drills, let's say we'd be running full court and these running drills and you'd be running uh, through cones, you'd be dribbling. He would shine. I mean, he would look and we'd all be like, man, this guy really knows what he's doing. He's quick. He can handle the ball. But then something would happen. And this is what would happen. The coach would say, all right, guys, we're going to scrimmage. We're going to divide you up into teams of five and we're going to get up there and we're going to scrimmage and we're going to play full court five on five, like hard basketball. And here's what would happen. Every time without fail, that guy guy who was all flash, who had all the gear, who could dribble around and do all these crazy moves, guess what? As soon as somebody started defending him, he would just fall apart. As soon as somebody would start playing tough D or uh, he'd have to go set a pick or he'd have to run off a pick uh, or he'd have to make a pass in traffic, all of a sudden it revealed that this guy actually didn't have a lot of fundamental basketball skills, meaning those basic things he struggled in. And so that was something that was so interesting to me that I would watch. And here's what I noticed about it is that whenever uh, that, that, that this guy was only impressive when there was no pressure. They were only impressive when there was no pressure. Pressure, defense, people uh, guarding him, or maybe someone giving him a bump or whatever, revealed the weakness of his skills, that it was all flash. He was really a one-on-one -on -one guy. That's all that he, he could do. And so many times what, I, what happened is that those guys actually never made the team. Now, they'd come to every game, and they'd sit in the stands, and they'd make fun of us, you know, the guys who were on the team, and they'd tell everybody, like, oh, you know, I'm way better than these guys, but the coach just doesn't like me, or they'd have some sort of, you know, I injured my foot or something. They have some sort of excuse, but the fact was is that all of that flash, all of that was nothing when they were exposed or when some pressure came to them. Now, in the Christian life, it's often the same way. See, what happens is that uh, a lot of times it's easy to fake your way through the Christian life. It's easy to act like you've got everything together. It's even easy to appear as if you've got it all figured out. And to be honest, sometimes people might be impressed with you. They might think, man, that person's got it all together. They really know what they're doing. But when the pressure comes, 
And what about that? When the pressure comes, when the resistance uh, comes, when uh, things don't go your way, when you're hurt, when you feel taken advantage of, what happens then? Well, oftentimes it reveals our lack of those basic skill sets of surrender, first of all. It, it shows that maybe we haven't truly been transformed in our mind. It shows that maybe we don't really love the things that God loves as we, as we should. And so we need to always remember as we approach scripture here and what it's telling us to do and how we should live, we have to remember that it all starts with surrender that leads to that transformation, which leads to us having a desire to serve God in these ways. We have to go back. And so when we look at this list of Christian behaviors that God has given to us, we must remember that the calling is, first of all, to surrender to him. That is the foundation. Those are the necessary foundations that build the groundwork for living out the grace of God in our world today. Now, last week, we looked at verses number 9 through 13. And uh, what we saw is that surrenders as followers of Christ, we saw that we will love sincerely. I just want to show these to you again to remind you. We saw that we love sincerely. We saw that uh, we should serve diligently and suffer gracefully. That was a tough one. We also saw that we should give selflessly. And if you missed last week's message, you can always go back to the website and uh, follow up on it so you're all up to date where we are today. But that's what we saw last week. That, those are the beginnings of the list that Paul uh, gave to us. And, and primarily, I just want to say, these were primarily focused on our interaction between other brothers and sisters in Christ. And that is key. Remember, God cares about his first. And so that's what he emphasized uh, on for us, is that we would uh, apply this to one another. We would encourage one another. But as we move into Romans chapter 12, as we continue on, what we're going to see is that Paul shifts the focus from within to now focusing on the without. And, and how we need to understand that the expectation of the surrendered Christian is that we will conduct ourselves in a noble way when we're dealing with the world of unbelievers all around us. God expects his followers, now don't miss out on this, God expects his followers to be people who will have victory over the flesh because of what he's given to us and that we would have victory over the flesh and that we would be able then to demonstrate the change that is happening in us in the way that we approach life, the way that we behave uh, in our society. And as well, what that does then is that gives us an opportunity to show other people God's love and reveal to them his tra transforming power that comes to each and every one of us. Here's the thing. If they don't see Christ in us, who are they going to see it in? Who are they going to see him in? Well, the list of characters uh, of behavior of the Christian continues now. And Paul puts the focus squarely on how the Christian lives when we find ourselves in a society that is anti-God, that is even antagonistic towards the gospel. Now, for us, that's something we're familiar with. We live in a city that operates that way, although I feel that much more of that's going to come. But right now, as we get into this, I just want you to take a moment and reflect for a second and realize that, listen, this is how God desires for us to live in the society that we live in right here in Vancouver in 2021. God desires for us to still shine as lights in the midst of a dark world. And all of these things that he lays out for us, all of these Christian behaviors are elements that can help build the case to point other people to Jesus Christ. These uh, uh, truths are not just a checklist for us. They are a way of life. They are something that will point others to Jesus Christ. I want to tell you, if there's somebody in your life that you know who does not know Christ, that you would like to see them know him. Maybe there's somebody you're thinking about right now that does not know Jesus as their personal savior and you'd like to know him. I want to tell you, these character traits right here can help point Jesus or help point them to Jesus. It can help them see Jesus in you. What an amazing thought. Because so often we think of these people that are lost and people that we love and we care for, and we think, how is this ever going to happen? Listen, as we pursue Christ and as we reflect his characters, 
uh, characteristics, we are revealing Christ to them. Well, let's continue on in the list this morning. We see, first of all, that we are to bless the persecutor. Number one today, we are to bless the persecutor. Let's look now down at verse number 14. And Paul says, bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Now, as we read this verse, I cannot help but recognize the contradicting nature of the gospel, recognizing how this goes against the very grain of our natural inclinations and, and, and what even what we maybe consider co- a common sense. I mean, really, think about this. You're saying, really? He's saying here to bless a person that is persecuting you. Now, think about that for a minute. Now, I want to understand, I want to define those words real quickly. First of all, the word bless here uh, is the idea of to eulogize somebody. Now, maybe you've been to a funeral before and they, someone got up and gave the eulogy. I'll just tell you this. I've not seen a lot of bad eulogies. <laughs> I haven't seen a lot of negative eulogies. Typically, they get up and they speak well of that person, even though maybe everybody in the room recognizes that they weren't a great person. And eulogize means to speak well. So he says you need to speak well of your persecutor. And then he says, don't curse them. He says, bless and not curse. The word curse there means to desire evil upon them. So both of these talk about and deal with our heart in the whole situation. He says, listen, uh, you, should not, uh, you should not desire evil upon somebody who is your persecutor. Instead, you should speak well of them. Now, remember, Paul is writing to the Christians in Rome, isn't he? He's writing to a persecuted minority group of people that honestly were subject to the whim of any dictator or any uh, edict that was put out there by a pagan leadership. Paul understood the situation, and yet he realized here, and he's trying to encourage them with the fact that even if there's persecution, even if you're in a pagan society, the way that you treat others, especially those who mistreat you, reveals Jesus Christ. After all, isn't that exactly what Jesus modeled for us on the cross? Jesus lived out his own words in Matthew 5, verse 44, where he said, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Think about it. Jesus, while on the cross, prayed for those that had brutally beaten him. While he hung there on the cross, he literally opened the gates of paradise for the thief that was next to him, one who had just previously been raining curses on his head. It was Jesus' response to the brutality and the way that he uh, presented himself while on the cross that led that uh, Roman centurion to say, surely this man is the son of God. In Jesus' example, what we can see here is that even in great suffering, even while being persecuted and beaten, the way that he handled himself, the way that he responded, won a Jew and a Gentile as converts right there on the cross. Now think about that for a minute. Man, sometimes in our dealings with a lost world, we must be willing to live with their attacks. We must be willing to live with their offhanded comments in order to show them who Jesus is. See, the moment that you and I retaliate in anger or or respond in the same way or in a critical spirit, what we do is we show them that our faith that we claim has actually no power over us. When we respond like them, what we're saying is that, you know what, I believe in this, but it actually hasn't changed me. I'm just like you. I'm just like you. I respond just like you do. Now, it's difficult to consider the reality of this instruction, especially since many of us can very easily come up with examples of how we've been wrongfully accused, of how we've been attacked or maybe even physically harmed, or we've been mocked or just mistreated. But if we are to truly follow Jesus' uh, instructions here, then we would be the, the people then who would actually speak well of our persecutors. We would speak good to them. We would speak good about them, even when they're not around. We would attempt good things for them. And most of all, we would pray good things about them. Now, 
I want to make clear, this does not mean that we trust our persecutors. <laughs> this does not mean that we willfully pursue uh, putting ourselves in positions where we're going to be attacked and maligned and, and all of that. It simply means, though, that at the moment of attack, when it happens, when there's persecution, when, whatever the situation may be, in that moment, we are not going to respond with evil intentions. We're not going to desire a curse on them. We're not going to desire that they suffer as well. It, it, and this, this mentality is so, so important because it means that we will work at forgiving people, that we do not dwell on a desire for punishment for them. You know, Peter put it this way in 1 Peter 3 verse 9, where he said, not rendering evil for evil or railing against railing, but contrawise blessing. He says, don't, don't push evil. Don't push a negativity upon uh, these other people. But he says, instead, blessing, knowing that you're there unto called that you should inherit a blessing. The fact is, church, is that not every persecutor is going to be one to Christ. I think you realize that. But I will say this, every persecutor does deserve to have a quality gospel witness in their life. So that when that moment comes that they are alone and they are away from uh, the people that surround them and the people that they maybe uh, are trying to impress, when they're alone and in those moments of quiet and thoughtfulness, like every single person has, <laughs> our prayer is that they will then wonder about how you responded to them. And that might even pursue them to change their actions or even to pursue pursue. Jesus Christ. See, this is what God is after in this command. It's dealing with our heart. It's dealing with our response to evil and the attacks of this fallen world, that we would point others to Christ and to him alone and to nothing else. Now, listen, I recognize the difficulty of this. I will be the first person to admit to you today uh, that I know how many times I've failed at this in my own life personally. How many times I have desired a curse. I've desired evil upon somebody the times that I've not responded in a moment in the, in the right way. And I, I know that I cannot go back and change those things I've said, and I cannot change those things that I have thought or desired. But I do know this, I can change my behavior from this point going forward. I know that I can make a difference to the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. I know that I can now learn and I can focus on responding with grace. And I do believe that God can develop that heart within me. Luke chapter six, verse 35 tells us to love Ye your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great. And ye shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Think about that. God is kind to the evil. So should we. We should also have that same response. And I love how it says there that our reward will be great. You may not see it on this earth, but great is your reward in heaven, the person that is able to bless the persecutor. Listen, our behavior in this world carries with it the attitude of Christ. And one of the most powerful ways that we can bring glory to God is through our treatment of those who bring us and do harm towards us. And so Paul says you need to bless those that persecute you. But secondly, as we move to verse number 15, he encourages us to identify emotionally. Point number two, identify emotionally. Let's look at verse number 15. He says, rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. You know, as a Christian that is growing in our behavior, one way we know that we're growing is that we're able to show genuine interest in the experiences of those that are around us. Now, Paul mentions two areas here. And in particular, first of all, he says that we are to be people who rejoice with those that rejoice. Now, here's what this means. This is the idea that you are able to um, calmly, and I'll say that, calmly be happy for somebody that is experiencing a time of joy or blessing in their life. 
And so when your neighbor or your family member or your coworker or, or, or some other person in your life has something good that happens to them, you are able to be genuinely happy for them and even join in with them during that time of joy. Now, this does not mean that you join in their, you know, their rager <laughs> over their promotion and they have some ungodly celebration and then you're like, well, I got to rejoice with those who rejoice. So I'm going to go to this event. No, that's not what he's talking about here. It's the idea of having a genuine within your heart desire to uh, rejoice with them at the same time, keeping your Christian testimony. So let's remember those things in case you're looking for an out for one of those aspects. But you know, listen, if somebody has a, has a baby, uh, maybe they have a workplace promotion, they get a raise, they get a new car, there's some sort of recognition or there's some sort of honor, we are to genuinely rejoice with them. Now, you and I know it's not as easy as it sounds, is it? <laughs> It's so often it goes against the grain of who we are in our human nature. You know, our natural response to someone else having something good happen to them is to envy them. Uh, it is to feel maybe disappointment. Uh, maybe it is to try to uh, be sort of, uh, um, I guess, diminish the, the, the feeling of it, try to put it down so it doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal, or maybe we just act indifferent to it in the moment. We have a hard time. Man, we have a hard time rejoicing over somebody else's blessings or somebody else's success. And that is exactly why this is in here. That is exactly why God wants us to live in this way because it once again reflects that as a Christian, we are different from the way the world responds. We are different from the way everyone else responds and it goes against our natural tendencies and it reveals that we are not operating in our natural sinful tendencies. We are operating in the tendencies of the Holy Spirit and of God who is leading us. This is the very behavior of God. Did you know that God rejoices with you when blessing? God rejoices with the blessings and the strength of his people. But not only does God rejoice, but it comes to the second part. God also feels great sorrow with us as well. And this is what we're trying to emulate here. We're trying to emulate the heart of God. That's why he encourages us to also weep with those who weep. This, of course, refers to uh, somebody that we may become in contact with who's going through a trial or loss. Somebody who's going through a moment of suffering. Maybe it's a time of personal pain. Uh, maybe some sort of financial or business loss. Maybe a family uh, member that has been lost or hurt or just general sorrow or suffering. Whatever it is that is causing the weeping, whatever it is that is causing the sorrow, the Christian believer is to be drawn to that person and feel with them. And I would say this, if it is appropriate, you recognize church, there are situations that maybe it's not appropriate for you to reach out to somebody or to maybe spend an inordinate amount of time with that person. But if it is appropriate, you should be one of the first people in their life to offer kindness to them, to offer concern, uh, to be compassionate, to be empathetic, to maybe be that uh, proverbial shoulder to cry on in their life. If it's an appropriate situation, you, sure, you, you should. See, a noteworthy trait of the Christian is that of empathy. The fact that our hearts are touched with the infirmities, the difficulties, the sorrows of men. Again, that brings us back to Christ in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, where it tells us, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And then he says this in verse 16, says, God understands you. But verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find help, uh, find grace to help in time of need. Listen, that person may, be, uh, may not be a Christian, but you can sure offer to pray with them. 
They may not believe as you believe, but you can share with them that though they feel like nobody else understands what they're going through. And you may say, I, I can't even begin to uh, empathize with what you are going through. The thing that you can say to them is that, listen, I have a God who does know what you're going through. I have a God who does love you. And I have a God who's there with you. And I am going to pray, if you'll allow me, I'm going to pray uh, for you at that point. And here's something that can drastically change your relationships with unbelievers. And I mean this, church drastically change your relationships with believers when you are a praying person, when the people in your workplace know that you will pray for them. Even if they don't believe in God, I always find that they respond so positively just by me saying, hey, I'm praying for you. Even if they they believe nothing like me, I'm praying for you. Is it okay if I pray uh, for you about this? They always accept that, or at least they have some sort of uh, interesting comment and maybe opens up another conversation. Uh, I was talking with Stephanie in our church recently, and uh, she has a friend of hers that she's known for a long time, and and she had been praying for this friend. Well, a friend, uh, this friend came to her later on and said to her, said, hey, are you still praying for me? And uh, she said, well, yes, I am still praying for you. She said, well, hey, it's working. Things are changing in my life. Some things have happened. And what an amazing testimony. It opened the door for her to recognize that there is power. This lady could not explain why things were changing in her life, why she was feeling differently. But then she realized, okay, maybe it's because Stephanie is praying for me. What a witnessing testimony. I know Stephanie was so enthusiastic about that and that opportunity. And that can be your testimony as well. As you learn to feel and to sorrow with those that are going through difficulty, just as you do rejoice with those that are rejoicing. The the Christian believer, as a Christian, you will go through a kaleidoscope of experiences in life. Christianity does not mean that we deny hardship or that we try to dull excitement in life. It's not that we're trying to like diminish these things. We feel these very deeply, um, but our perspective uh, about eternity changes the way that we respond. And because we know that Christ is coming and we know that we're going to heaven, what it does is it opens up in us the ability to fully experience life and to fully empathize with others because we have hope that is beyond this world and hope that is beyond the grave. God can give you that. God can encourage you and it can help you with that. Listen, laughter and tears are appropriate before God. There's no reason for you to diminish the emotions that God created you with. There's no reason for you to diminish those when it comes as long as you're looking at them in light of Christ's power and Christ's love for you. Each of those has an important place in our, in our life. And when we identify emotionally with people, this opens the door for us to witness to them. It allows, uh, it gives us an opportunity to really encourage one another, even within the body of Christ, those that are going through difficulties. The third aspect that we see here is that we're to bless the persecutor, we're to identify emotionally. And then thirdly today, it says, mind your manners. <laughs> mind your manners. Maybe put that in the chat. Mind your manners. Now, as soon as you hear that, I know for me, it invokes a memory for me. And the memory for me is of me being a 10-year-old going over to a friend's house and my parents saying to me, mind your manners. What does that mean? Well, they were saying, remember who you represent. Remember how you act. Pay attention that you're not a slob at the table. Uh, make sure that you remember you know, the way that you approach your food and you're not rude and you're not asking for too much and you're kind and all of those things. They're saying, mind your manners because they want me to represent. They want me to leave a good impression. And I think in the back of their mind, here's what I think. You can maybe verify this with them at some point. I think they wanted me to be invited back again, right? So that they'd have another break from me. I think that's probably part of it. So they would say, mind your manners, mind your manners. Well, listen, that's a phrase that would linger in my mind when I got to have the privilege to go to a friend's house. I remember that so distinctly as a kid thinking, don't mess this up, Paul. Mind your manners. And listen, 
as a Christian, verse number 16 for us should ring in our mind as we interact with each other and as we interact with the world. You say, what is he talking about? Look at verse 16. He says, be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. What is Paul talking about here? Well, let's break it down. First, he says that you need to be of the same mind towards another. This deals primarily with our attitude and our behavior towards others and the situations that they find themselves in. Sure, empathy, like we talked about, does come into play here. Um, But more than that, it is a desire to know people, to understand people. We used to use the phrase, uh, what makes somebody tick? Or like, I want to know like what drives them? Who are they? And that's what he's saying here is you, you want to have that same mind towards people. You want to understand what, what they are all about. We need to be the Sherlock Holmes of Christians. Uh, not that we're looking for crime in everybody's life, but that we understand them, that we can be unified with them by really understanding what it is that they're going through. And that can help you love them in a better way, help you to minister to them in a greater way. I mean, think about Jesus' ministry for a moment. Think about this. He spoke with equal respect and with equal love to the woman at the well who lived a life of wickedness. He spoke to them, he spoke to her in the same way that he spoke to Nicodemus, this uh, leader, this ruler of the Jews, this man who seemed to have everything all figured out. And he spoke to them in the same way. How is it that Jesus could do that? Well, he did that because he knew their hearts. He, he, he had the, the same mind. He understood what it was that made them who they were. And he was able to speak to them in that same way. And so we're to, we're to do that. We are to um, uh, be of the same mind, but also he says here that we're to uh, um, watch out and not to uh, mind high things. Notice that. He says, mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Now that's the idea of not making your life all about being the top guy. Uh, not about desiring, you know, to be famous, to have a, be, you know, be the one in high society or the one with the position or to be the one with the affluence. That means that we're not supposed to be just focused on those things that, that we're just minding those high things as he's talking about. But instead, what are we to do? We are to condescend to those of a lower estate. What is he saying? Don't be a snob is what he's saying. <laughs> don't be snobbish in your demeanor. Uh, don't, uh, 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 don't just uh, be that kind of person that only cares about the greatest and the best thing and is willing to push people and uh, others aside in order to pursue that. He says, don't be like that. Instead, condescend to those that are of lower degree. Now the word condescend, we think of it in a negative light. In this context, what it means is that uh, we are to look upon the poor and to lowly. And it actually means that we are to be caught away with them. It's a really interesting uh, word. We're to be caught away with them. We're to be, meaning we're to look at them, uh, not as people who are below us, those that are poor and lowly and struggling, And we are to recognize that we are not above them. And what that means for us is that we're not going to neglect them. We're not going to ignore them or separate ourselves from them or criticize them or despise them. Uh, We're to remember what was said in verse 3, how we're not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. God is concerned that his children do not become puffed up. He is concerned that we do not not become some sort of elite class uh, of people so much so that we cannot minister to those who need God the most. Listen, church, we should see the poor in our society, the people that need help as those that are precious in God's sight, people who God can completely redeem. 
You know, if you think back to our study in the book of James, this was back in May of 2019. I preached a message that I called favoritism. And you go to the website, go to sermons, you can actually go down and listen uh, to that sermon series from the book of James. But James chapter two, verses one through nine, he talks very specifically. And in fact, he speaks quite harshly to the church that would look at someone who walks into the church, who's dressed up nice, how they would look at them differently, give them a better seat, treat them differently than the person who walks in in rags or somebody who comes in and just in a, in a terrible condition. And he chastises the church for that. This is what the idea is here, is that we would be people who view the lowly or view those that are uh, maybe not where we are at, but still view them as great value and redeemable by God. We should be friendly and we should be kind. We should be generous to them. We are not elitists, okay? We are not to play favoritism or favorites within different groups of people. And he adds to that by the third part of the verse where he says, be not wise in your own conceits. This means do not have an opinion of yourself that does not reflect reality. (laughs) That means that you think that your opinions are the only things that matter. That you are always right in all sense, that in all senses that you are above and better than the lowly that we just talked about. Now listen, I get it. Many, uh, many people feel like they are above and better than others. <laughs> We've all struggled with this. Man, if you've just gone to high school, you recognize the foolish things that people hold on to to give them a superior feeling or to give them a level of, of maybe they are better than others. Think about clothes for a minute. Remember back in high school? And how uh, teenagers would use their clothes as a way to put other people down. Like, oh, you don't have British knights? Okay, that's really dating. A super old. Or you're not, you're not wearing champion? Of course, champion's back now, which is pretty cool. I think that's great. But, you know, you're not wearing this latest thing or your shoes are dumb. Or I mean, think about that, right? High school, how people would use that. And why were they doing that? Because they're trying to show or prove that they are superior that they are better than other people. And, but when you break it down, and as you become an adult and you mature in it, you realize how foolish that is, how dumb that is, that somebody would use an article of clothing as a way to put somebody uh, else down. See, to live in that way, or to think you're better than somebody else because of what you have or, or, or uh, how you think of yourself, is, is foolish. Now, I realize that may not be the greatest example to use clothes, because I know that doesn't apply for everyone. But I wonder, what is it that makes you feel like you're better than somebody else? Just think about that for a moment in your own heart. What is it that you think about yourself or an opinion you have about yourself that makes you think that you are better? Maybe it is your status uh, in life. Maybe it is some sort of character trait that you have. Maybe it is your housing situation as opposed to others. Maybe an investment you made uh, when maybe others did not make that investment. Uh, Maybe it is that you simply feel that you are more spiritual than somebody else. By the way, that can be a real danger. You know, I've, I've got everything right in my life. Therefore, everyone else must be wrong. Listen, if you use that as a way to put yourself above other people, um, all, it's, the same as, it's the same foolishness as, you know, my pants are Dockers versus Levi's or whatever it is, you know? Uh, I'm sorry about my dated references. I guess I should uh, bring in some newer references, you know? It's my, my fear of God versus, you know, your, uh, your uh, I don't know, Jonathan G's. That was a long time ago. Anyway... <laughs> I don't know if you're laughing or not. I hope you are. Great. <laughs> I think you get my point, though. To try to put any sort of status of life or, uh, or appearance or how we are is a weak excuse. It's the same as weak as being a teenager using his pair of shoes to put somebody else down. Even if you don't, or even if you do have it all together, even if you, you're like, everything in my life, I've taken care of my house, my house is in order. Well, that means then you're going to have a humble spirit 
before the Lord and a humble spirit towards other people as well. If you truly have it together, you will walk in humility. The phrase here also gives us the idea that we are always, uh, uh, gives the idea that we're willing to recognize that we are not always right in all things. And I've touched on that a little bit. I think you maybe understand why I called this point, mind your manners. (laughs) Because if you lived your life as a conceited (laughs) know-it-all, always putting other people down, always thinking that you're better than others, you're not going to get invited back very often. In fact, you're going to struggle in relationships. You're going to struggle to minister and even to witness to those who do not know Christ. Remember, the point of all this is that our lost world would see Jesus in us. That's the point. This is us living out the grace of God, letting it be reflected and revealed to others. And as saved, surrendered, and transformed people, our behavior has the potential to point others to the radical, transformational God who is full of mercy and he's full of love. Now, I realize that these can be intimidating, It can be intimidating sometimes to look at scripture and be like, I got to do all of these things. God wants me to, how how am I going to remember all of this? (laughs) And we, we get intimidated in that way. Here's the good news, church. You don't have to do it alone. You don't have to do it alone. The same God has saved you is able to fill you and give you the strength and the maturity and the humility to overcome those natural tendencies that we struggle with. The natural tendencies to react in anger rather than blessing. The tendency that we have to be uh, to misunderstand rather than empathize. The the tendencies that we have to be conceited rather than humble. And the truth is, is that you cannot live that way in a sustainable way without God's help. And so we have to turn to him. We have to ask for his help. We have to ask for the illumination and the filling of his Holy Spirit. Remember what uh, Jesus said to Paul when Paul went to Jesus. He said, God, I've got some problems in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Remember what Jesus responded with. He said, my grace is sufficient for thee. My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Then he said, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You know what, church? God's grace is sufficient for you. His grace is sufficient for you to live and to uh, live out what we've learned here in Romans chapter 12 in just these few verses. You say, man, this list, uh, I I don't know if I can keep it all all, all together. I don't know if I can focus on all of it. Listen, you don't have to. You simply need to trust God and walk in his spirit, and he will reveal these things to you. But it's good for us to be reminded about our actions towards others. You know, this morning, how are your responses to those who have brought harm to you? How have you responded? How about those that you perceive are harming you? Sometimes I feel we misjudge intentions rather than judging outcome. And so often we can go through life feeling like uh, the victim or feeling like a martyr when in fact we just need to step back a little bit and just look at our own reactions and our own responses to things. How are your responses to those who harm you? Do you bring blessing to them? By the way, oftentimes they don't even know the blessings you're bringing to them. Sometimes you just pray for a person. They have no idea. They still think you're, you're, you're upset at them but you can still pray for them and in that way, bless them. As well, I would encourage you, don't curse them, meaning don't desire evil upon that person. And it's good to evaluate those things. You know, all of us have had people in our lives that have hurt us. All of us have had people who've done things to us that they should not do. Persecution has come our way. How we respond reflects Christ. I want to tell you that. How you respond reflects Jesus to an unsaved world. Even if it's not to that specific person, someone else could see that, wow, you've been hurt or they find out about that hurt and they see how you've responded in love and grace and forgiveness, that can make a difference maybe in somebody else's life. 
Do you maybe have a hard time identifying with other people? Jesus says we're to rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those who weep. Maybe you find yourself jealous over someone else's joy, or maybe you find yourself indifferent to it. Now, maybe when someone is suffering, the only response you know is to just avoid them or to leave them alone because you're not sure that you can help them. Listen, I promise you this, through the Holy Spirit of God, you can react in the right way. You can be encouraged and encouraging, and you can empathize and encourage those that are struggling as well. Finally, I wonder, are you living with the proper attitude towards other people? Do you look at those in our world, in our society that are maybe not where you're at? Maybe people even within the church that maybe you think don't have it all together or that you think they should, you know, man, they should figure things out. And you're looking down on them and you're not having the right attitude towards them. Can I encourage you today to beg God for forgiveness and beg God for his help? He will give it to you. He will provide it to you. But we must seek him. We are learning how to build on those foundational principles of surrender and of transformation in order to reflect God's grace to this world. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. We really appreciate you joining in. You know, if today's sermon was a help to you, we'd ask that you maybe take a moment and just give us a quick rating on iTunes or Spotify or wherever it is that you're listening. That really does help get the word out and for other people to find our content as well as connect into the word of God, which is really the most important thing to us. As well, we encourage you to, if you want any more information about City Baptist in Vancouver, you can check out our website at citybaptist.ca or follow us on social media through Facebook and Instagram. Our prayer is that you would continue to walk and grow with Christ. And we love you and we pray for you and we hope that you have a great rest of your day.